listening to Supply Chain Radio. My name is Matt Gunn, joined today by Brittany Brown. Hi, Brittany. How are you? I'm very good, Matt. How are you? I am doing great. Brittany, one of your areas of focus is the consumer product or consumer packaged goods industry. And I think from a, you know, a consumer perspective, like in my lens, it's really fascinating because these are manufacturers that are, represent gigantic brands and pieces of a consumer's life, right? You think about some of the biggest names out there, PepsiCo or Tide, right? And not just from the controversial Tide Pod eating challenge, but, you know, Kleenex. These are things and products that we use every day that are part of our lives wherever we go and that traditionally we buy at a store because we're loyal to that brand or because we trust that it's made well, has quality, has a certain set of standards that align with our needs, and just simply is woven into the fabric of our lives. But typically, we buy it from a retailer, and that seems to all be changing. Everything about CPG and retail right now seems to be kind of blurring. Is that accurate? From a corporate standpoint, absolutely. I I just read an article. It was about beauty brands and basically all of the makeup a woman wears or or anybody wears or in like hair products, things like that come from five different companies. So these corporations are huge conglomerates. And whether you know that end conglomerate, that umbrella company's name, it's the brands underneath that are technically considered manufacturers, but they're brands and we treat them like a retail brand. But how we get those products is changing. We're not necessarily going to the store to buy them. We're now looking at e-commerce. And from a corporate standpoint, if you are one of these big conglomerates, umbrella companies, you're now sort of, things have changed. And your options for markets and for making revenue and for gaining customers has completely changed, whether that's the Amazon effect or just what's happened based on technology. That's where we're at today. And I sort of call it the CPG conundrum. Oh, I like that. And absolutely, I think that, you know, you can't ignore the Amazons of the world or even these other disruptive ways of selling to a consumer, right? Like when Dollar Shave Club came around, and I've used this example before, it changed everything because all of a sudden, not only were razors cheap and they're never cheap in a store, but you could just hit a button and subscribe and you had a new pack of fresh razors at your door on the same day, every month, didn't have to think about it. And... That's it. You set it and forget it, and it becomes part of your life. And that's a very direct relationship, you know, and one that was quite valuable to Unilever, which bought them for a billion dollars. But just to quantify this a little bit, according to a report that McKinsey put out last year, surveys are indicating that about one in four households already shops for food and beverages online, and that the number of households that are going to buy health and beauty products will double this year. So, I mean, buying those products online. So there is absolutely something to it, the e-commerce game. Now, we kind of hinted at this a little bit before, but why is that suddenly becoming so big in our lives? And, And why has it started to change the relationship between customers and retailers and brands? It's hard to tell, right? Does the tail wag the dog or the dog wag the tail? Is the fact that technology coming around and advancing so much, did that make us want more convenience? Or is the consumer demand driving the need for these technologies? I don't know. But 
I know that I can go to Amazon and I can order everything I want. I know that I can go to Boxed or Jet and I can get everything that's not fun to buy, right? Like clothes, that's fun to buy. Purses, great, wonderful. Paper towels, eh. I, you know, I, I just, I need them in my house, but I don't want to go buy them if I don't have to. So to be able to do that on Amazon is huge and we're all very driven by convenience. So convenience is obviously one technology, the ability to do it in a way that's really transparent. I don't feel like I'm getting ripped off. I can shop the different prices for different types of paper towels right on Amazon. So the fact that technology enables it in a way that my shopping experience feels similar, if not better, because of technology, as opposed to going into the store. And we were having this discussion earlier, but when you think about it from a demographic perspective and and physically where we are, in the 80s, we were very city-centric still. So everything was centrally more located that way. And from the 80s to, I don't know, early 2000s, end of 2000s, we moved and became more rural and more spread out. That changes how we go to stores and how we get products and then how those companies enable their supply chains to meet that. We've also seen now a shift back into a a city-centric locale, but still I think that changing demographic affects why we're shopping differently. That's a good point. And and so I think... That, that's worth keying in on just a little bit. But you're right. I think in the 80s, brands were still brands. They still used TV to advertise. And you know, a lot of consumer product companies would raise brand awareness by running a promotion, whether it was an in-store offer or, say, a manufacturer coupon that was out in the circular. People don't read or subscribe to physical newspapers quite the same anymore, but they are online. The other thing that you would have to consider is that even though maybe geographies have changed or demographics have changed, the challenge itself doesn't seem to have gone away. Consumers at the end of the day want what they want when they want it and in the most convenient way possible. The big difference now is they have digital technology and increased expectations, I think, because of Amazon Prime and two-day shipping or because of new or emerging business models around accessing brands, right? Nike wasn't a retailer in the past. It's so interesting when you think about Technically, retail is brick and mortar, right? And that's very different than it is now, right? So Nike is a retailer because they have a brick and mortar store, but they have a brick and mortar store because their brand was so big and so massive and and so much demand. We all wanted Nike shoes and you typically would get Nike shoes at a sports authority or Dick's Sporting Goods, Big Five, Dillard's, whatever it may be. But Nike had such brand awareness, so much market share, they could have their own store, their own brick and mortar. And that made sense for their business model. And that made sense for increased brand awareness and increased market share. And that's what they've seen. Okay, so we talked a little bit on how things have changed, why it's changed, and a little bit of historical perspective. But I think we have to come back to the supply chain aspect. And this is an area that you're really focused on. But what does it mean for those people that are manufacturers, the CP brands themselves, as they are adapting their supply chains to meet these multi-tiered and perhaps more complex and immediate needs that are pushed forward by this consumerization of their industry? Yeah, so I think first for for you know these big conglomerate CPG tech 
like more traditionally manufacturers, one, this is very exciting. This is an opportunity for them to go direct to consumer and to start looking at different strategies for how they create different markets within their own organization that that have different margin opportunities. Going direct to consumer has a different margin opportunity than going to your typical traditional retailer to that customer being a Target or a Walmart or a Walgreens, Dwayne Reed, whatever it may be. Those margins are different. That supply chain's different. So it's exciting. And number one, the first thing they're looking to do is build a strategy. I think what's hard for them is they're looking at creating these different strategies for meeting consumer demand. They include different supply chains, but it's so fluid right now. There's so much change all the time. So I think while they're creating these strategies, they're also keeping in mind that what today looks like from a consumer perspective might be very different tomorrow or in five years and 10 years. So they're creating the strategy, but they're really still focused on having some flexibility in those strategies because there's been so much disruption and that's not going to change anytime soon. All right. So I think that that represents a pretty massive challenge though. You can't do this overnight. I think there are brands that probably do it really well and some that you probably don't think about how well they do it. We were chatting uh, an example earlier. One of the perhaps least convenient products that I have in my house and one that just is a pain is uh, like five gallon bottles of water, right? I live in a place where drinking water quality is not the best. And so bring it in, water cooler. It used to be something that was only accessible to say a large business, but now I have this service, Ready Refresh, that comes directly to my door. Turns out it's actually run by Nestle, which traditional CPG company, yep. traditionally serving much larger and wider customers. Now they have this subscription service, which... Water as a service. Right? And it finishes that last <laughs> mile. I mean, yep. who wants to carry five five gallon jugs of water home in their car? Maybe you don't have a car or... Just simply, it's not easy to do. And that's a strategy, right, that they had to put together and they had to think of and they had to have the foresight to do so. And that is the case for Nestle. It's also the case for, you know, a a Coca-Cola or a Pepsi. They're looking at their strategies and they're saying, you know, we typically sell our products in cans. Can we move away from that? Is there a way to do that differently? Is there a, you know a soda as a service model out there for us. And they're looking at that. And we're, we're seeing that with the soda streams and things like that, where you're not selling product in a can, you're selling syrup that you're going to add carbonation to. And that's a different strategy. That's a different market that did not exist 15 years ago or, you know, in the, in the majority, it didn't at least. So I, I think, you know, they're creating these different strategies. They're looking at how to be innovative and how to anticipate or even be disruptive. But then in building those strategies, there's also a bunch of different factors that they're looking at as well, like margins. All right. So we've looked in the past, we've looked at how things are changing and the pressure that people are under now. But I just kind of want to conclude this a little bit around some of the technologies and the underlying pieces that are going to help get this done. We've seen entire industries disrupted by digital technologies, by this change toward the internet empowering the consumer being more omnipresent all the time, more aware with increased expectations and really changing the balance of power from the companies they shop with to whatever their whim and wherever their their values lie with the products that they choose. What is, can you 
kind of quantify that challenge in and put it in perspective of CP? So I think digital transformation is, is huge and it is an enabler for them to, again, go back to building these strategies and then doing some more interesting things around data and analytics. But first, it's about digital transformation. And I think when you're looking at a supply chain and you have a strategy for how you're, you're moving forward to meet consumer demand, and then you're looking at the related supply chain and you're, you typically look at where is this product from and where is it going, the where is it going is fluid and it's changing and it's different all the time. So you have to have a digitized supply chain at close to the source as possible. So that information now needs to be digital. You need to be able to look at it, manipulate it and say, today this product is going to Target. It's going to Walmart, whatever. But actually we have had an increase demand from Amazon and it needs to go direct to consumer. It needs to go to an Amazon hub or whatever it may be. You need to have that flexibility upstream in your supply chain. So when the downstream changes and shifts, because it will, whether it's because of something that's happened physically in your supply chain or because demand's changed, you have to be agile and flexible. And if you don't have that information at close to the point in which the activity is actually happening, your supply chain is now a hindrance. And what we know from having these conversations with companies is it's, it is the companies that will win and that are winning use their supply chain as a competitive advantage, not as just simply the catalyst to get products from point A to point B. That's a great point. I think that, you know, and we say this a lot in the retail world, but you're not just competing on your name alone, the legacy of your business. You're really competing on your supply chain. That's where it sets you apart from the competition truly. And it, it's it's interesting because your supply chain also, then we're starting to talk, you, you think about things like sustainability and transparency. And this is another consumer driven theme that we're seeing, but I want to know where my product's from. And we're having really interesting conversations with manufacturers or even like protein farmers around how do we collaborate and have the most transparency and the most information possible as part of our process and, and part of our standards, because whether it's the hide that's going into a leather bag that I'm going to purchase or the meat that I'm actually going to consume, I want to know where that cow is from. And so that is something that affects your supply chain and it's something that your supply chain can either enable to answer those questions or can be a big black hole that if something goes wrong, if you have an issue, you're in a world of hurt. And from there, that affects your brand. And if nothing else that we're talking about right now, it is about brand awareness and brand loyalty. And I am loyal to the brands that I know I can get. I know where they're from. And so that's what CPGs are really focused on, right, is keeping that, that brand loyalty and brand awareness with their consumers. I think these are all great points. And I think that this is a big challenge and that it's going to be really tough for brands to go alone. Obviously, we've seen examples of success. But we've also seen examples where maybe some of the biggest companies out there are just simply buying new smaller companies or new services just to kind of get up to speed and keep up with the Joneses, right? Again, back to Unilever where it wasn't quite positioned in either razors or direct-to-consumer. So what did it do? It bought both in one. And so I find that there's probably going to be a lot of different ways to approach this. But to your point, connectivity and building out that network, build it being flexible and agile in the supply chain. I think 
at the end of the day, seems like it could only benefit everyone involved in that supply chain. Yeah, as we move towards, you know, additional conglomeratization in the world in general, and even if you look at our conversation, you know, in the last 10 minutes, we've gone from talking about retailers and manufacturers to brands. That's really what we're focusing on is is brands. And for companies, you know, they're obviously going to be focused on the brand, but it's that supply chain for that brand that they're going to need to digitize. They're going to need to have all of that information as soon as possible, if for no other reason than to look at your landed costs, right? To look at your cost of goods sold at the end of the day as they built out these strategies for how they go direct to consumer. If you don't even know how much it cost you to go direct to consumer, how much did that affect your margins? Did it increase your margins? Did it decrease your margins? If you don't have that information, then how do you put together a strategy for 2019? How do you say this is where our focus should be? How do you know as a brand what your trends are? And the first step in doing that is digitizing the supply chain, getting your information all in one place, and and then manipulating it from there. Great. Okay, so final question, and this is something we've all been kind of getting toward a little bit here on the on Supply Chain Radio. But we've talked about the past a lot and kind of quantified the changes in the landscape, particularly around CP in this episode. But let's broaden it out and also, you know, uh, project forward. What do you see is going to be the biggest difference in supply chain 20 years from now? Or how will it change the way that we view the world? Matt loves to ask me the where I see myself in 20 years question, and I, I never have a good answer, and I still don't. So uh, I'm going to go for five years from now. That's a future that I can uh, I can think about. So, you know, even the conversations that I, I go to a lot of manufacturing, mainly brewery sites, right? Those are a lot of the conversations that I'm having. And what always seems to resonate and where a lot of the alcohol beverage companies that I'm talking to, what resonates with them is the blurring of the lines between manufacturing and retail. And that's what we've been talking about. But sort of these manufacturers now starting to look at themselves as retailers or as manufacturers that enable retailers, but also have their own markets and can go direct to consumer. So I think we're going to see more of that. And I I think, again, it's going to be all focused around the brand. I was mentioning to you how much I love seventh generation, which is a a cleaning product, but it's made out of all natural products. And I'm so loyal to that brand. And I don't care if I get it at Target. Target's the first place that introduced me to it. But I am so in love with that brand that I would order it direct from seventhgeneration.com if that even exists. You know, So I think we're going to continue to see sort of this focus on brand loyalty, which inherently blurs the line between manufacturing and retail. And both retailers and manufacturers are now going to start having conversations around how do we operate more as a retailer? How do we operate more as a manufacturer, which is, is inherently different than they've looked at. So that's my very practical response for how I see the world in five years. But I like to ask you, Matt, where do you see CPG in the next 20 years, you crazy fool? <laughs> 20 years is, is, I know, it's a long way <laughs> off. And, How old will you be in 20 years, Matt? <laughs> um, old enough to know better than to ask questions like, what do you see 20 years from now? <laughs> but uh, something, I guess, for me, and and I know we're getting that way a little bit with things like subscription business models and you know the whole concept around ownership is kind of changing on products, right? For me, so many of these products that I use from a CP brand are things that, you know, similar to stores, the way that I use them is consistent, repeatable, 
and done in a way where I think there's probably a pretty good pattern of usage around it. You know, I guess for me, and as we connect our homes and our lives even deeper into the businesses of these companies that serve us, I'd love to get rid of some of the work of having to write a shopping list to get into a car and drive to a store and pick up products and especially the ones that I use all the time, the repeatable stuff. Like what's worse than finishing a roll of paper towels when I've got a kid at home and, you know, say when the kid gets sick at three in the morning and you're all of a sudden out. (laughs) Yep. That's a pretty painful experience. So the more that I can hedge without having to either put too much extra buffer inventory in my house or, or to, <laughs> right? Buffer stock. We've talked about this before. The but Matt Gun optimized house. <laughs> I want it optimized. I want yeah. it streamlined. And, and again, you know, I think that optimized inventory levels in the Matt Gun household. Yeah. Right. I think yeah. that the supply chain for me three rolls of buffer paper towel stock. <laughs> Always. At all times. Never run out of water <laughs> and have the things that I rely on to be there. Again, laundry detergent when you're halfway through a day's worth of laundry. So the more that, that I can tailor and personalize my supply chain to my house, the better. And I know that there are ideas all over the place, whether it's sensors and IoT, whether it's something like Alexa, which is always listening and monitoring, whether it's just simply demand sensing coming from a business that you use a lot. You know, Something you notice with certain brands is they have a funny way of recommending you order it again within a certain amount of time, right? Yep. A month later, after I buy that hair product, all of a sudden Amazon's saying, hey, do you want more of it? Mm-hmm. Buy it again. So they have, they're getting a sense of that and they have an idea of how people use it, but they don't necessarily know how. Say, I yep. use it. I guess for me, the less that I have to spend my time worrying about those things and the more that I can enjoy my life, that would be pretty ideal. But also not, you know, I don't want it to be creepy. I don't want them in my house. I think I think you're fine with creepy. I do I, I do think that for convenience, you're okay with it, it being a little bit creepy. Like Certain Amazon, level. how did you know that I uh-huh. just ran out of that and I need it and it's going to take a day to get here and I have one more usage? Perfect. I'm going to get it in time. How did you know that? I think Matt's okay with that. <laughs> I think I'm okay with that. Yeah, just the right amount. Just, just the right the amount. Right, sure, yeah. sure. Whatever that may be. <laughs> All right, folks, you've been listening to Supply Chain Radio. For Brittany Brown, I am Matt Gunn. Thank you for listening. Be sure to find us on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast network. And if you have any thoughts, feedback, comments, or concerns, shoot us an email at scr.podcast at infor.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>